2 Peter chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 16 here this morning. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye take, ye do well that ye take heed. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Lord, we pray your blessing on the reading of your word and the preaching and application of it. Pray for strength and for clarity and for a receptivity to your word. Would your spirit draw us closer to you in this time in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Peter here in this passage is making the argument that his ministry is credible, but not just his ministry, the word of God that his ministry was based on was credible, not just credible, but dependable, trustworthy, and it was to be the source of spiritual instruction. His job was to make known the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not here to just come up with stories, cleverly devised. No, he wanted to make known the power and coming of the Lord. As he said, we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we did not follow cunningly devised fables, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We have an authoritative word this morning. The Bible is the word of God. It's inspired of God, and we'll talk about that in a moment when we come to verse 21. It's been preserved by God. Countless individuals have tried to stamp it out, to burn it, to ban it, to intimidate people who own it. It's been abused and manipulated, and uh, all sorts of things have, have, have uh, sorts of attacks have been waged on the Word of God, and yet it stands the test of time, and it will always stand the test of time. No one will ever be able to eradicate the Word of God. God has seen to it that it will be preserved. His Word is divine. It's authoritative, not speculative. It's objective truth. And the Bible is really all we need to navigate this life. There are other things we use. It's not a problem to use a GPS when you're driving, okay? or a school book when you're studying. But as far as what you and I need spiritually, the answers for life's questions, a direction, a roadmap for our spiritual journey, the Bible is it. And we need to learn to love and heed the Bible. And some have, and others have found it boring. 
Others have found it ah, a little dull. We live in a society where everything is fast-paced and lots of colors and, you know, uh, if you want the 3D IMAX experience, I'm afraid this isn't it, okay? <laughs> this is not going to do it. There's no special glasses you put on and this thing pops. It's black and white. My Bible has no pictures, okay? But the Holy Spirit of God can make it pop. He can illuminate his word. He wrote his word. He can make it alive to you. He can open your heart to receive it. He can help to apply its specifics to every corner and crevice of your heart. So let's look at this. What place, what priority should the Bible have in our life? And, and as we look at Peter, he gives his testimony here. Last week, we saw that he said he was an eyewitness of his majesty. And he's going to refer to, or he is referring to, what we have come to call the story of the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were privileged to be along with Jesus when Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and he was uh, seen in his glory, and there was Elijah, and there was Moses, also glorified, talking with Jesus, and speaking of him concerning what he was going to face. I, I can't imagine being there. Can you? I mean, that would have just been unreal. And then the voice. For all that they saw, the voice had to have been the best thing, to hear the voice from heaven. Uh, an amazing experience. But I want you to see here that as Peter is making a case for... Uh, the, the, the authority of the Word of God and the credibility of his ministry here. He doesn't make the case based on his experience. He uses the experience really to then uh, express the importance of the Word of God that we all have. There's a progression here in this passage that we're going to see. So let's consider this progression as we look at Peter's own testimony. First of all, we'll start with the miraculous word. We'll talk about that for a minute. And then there is a more sure word that he focuses on and transitions to. And we see that it is a most dependable word. So we'll start with the miraculous word. And we're going to look at Matthew 17. Matthew 17 is the story that he's referring to. Matthew 17 says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up <clears throat> into an high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them. What does that mean? Well, let's keep reading. His face did shine as the sun. His raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias talking with him. This was a glimpse into what it's going to be like in heaven. Just a glimpse. He was transfigured. For a moment there, the disciples saw him in some of his glory that had been before veiled from them. Moses and Elias, that's Moses and Elijah, they were talking to him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. 
Good idea? Bad idea? Well, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Wow. He's saying, forget I said anything. <laughs> it was John. It was John. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. You know what, folks? There are some times to talk, and there are some times to zip it. Just keep your eyes and ears open. And this was one of those times. Uh, sometimes we do different things when we don't know what to do. And some of us have a bad habit. When we don't know what to do, we open our mouth and start flapping it. <laughs> and uh, I can kind of be that guy sometimes. Uh, let's just fill the silence. This is weird. This is different. I don't know what to do. I'll just talk. Eh, probably a better idea not to talk unless you know you have something to say. And uh, in this situation, this was not something that Peter was supposed to be a part of. It was supposed to be something that he bore witness to. That's about it. Peter, I just want you to spectate. That's why you're here. It's good for us to close our mouths and focus on the Lord and hear Him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. I can imagine, I can imagine uh, Peter saying this and then James and John thinking, what is wrong with this guy? He's going to get us all killed, you know? Uh, will Peter ever just be quiet? They fall on their face, they're sore afraid, and Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. So he gives them some specific instructions. Keep this under your hat until my mission is complete and I've raised from the dead and this commission is then transferred to you, then you'll have a story to tell. But it's interesting, nowhere were they told to base their entire ministry on this experience. No, their ministry was to be based on the Word of God, and Peter knew that well. The experience was just something that God had given him as an added confirmation. And isn't God good to do that sometimes for us? Now, you may not have had a Mount of Transfiguration experience, but if you're like me, there have been times where you've been waffling in your faith, you know the Word of God says this, and you know I need to do this, but boy, this is a really hard step. I don't know if I can do it. Lord, will you give me something? And sometimes God is just good enough to give you some other confirmation that says, yes, you can trust me. This is me. My Word says what it says. You got it right. Go forward. And God gave this to Peter, James, and John. What a blessing. Well, is there a biblical precedent for believers receiving their own personal word from God? This is a big thing today. I think it's been a big thing for a long time. People want to talk about their experience. They want to talk about what God told them. And they want to talk about the bright lights and the loud sounds and the dreams and the visions and the miraculous stuff. And and it can be pretty cool. It can be pretty, pretty exciting to talk about all these things, and, and they can become the focal point. Uh, now, but is there a precedent at all for believers in the, word of God, in the Word of God receiving their own personal Word from God? Absolutely there is. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these guys all got a, a very personal Word from God. 
Now, this was all before the completed word of God, so bear that in mind. But still, they got, they got a personal word from God. Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Solomon. He had a really unique encounter with God and got a personal word from the Lord. Um, you've got Job. Wow. Job, did he get a personal word from God or what? Uh, you know, about scared him and his buddies to death. Uh, but wow, that was something. Jonah. Jonah got a personal word from God. And you can go on into the New Testament. John the Baptist, daddy. He got a personal word from God. Uh, Paul the apostle is walking down the street, going to Damascus, and bright light, and there was a personal direct message for the apostle Paul. And that one, the Bible says, was heard by his companions. Interesting. So is that what we're supposed to do? Is that what we're supposed to take from this? We're supposed to seek a personal word from God that we need the heavens to open and the thunders and the lightnings and we need this booming voice and until that happens, I'm just not a spiritual guy. Some churches would have you to believe that. Some individuals, some, some um, well-meaning folks, they have set their sights on experiences and until you have had some direct revelation given to you, well, you just, maybe you're not even saved or maybe you're not filled with the Spirit or maybe you just aren't that spiritual, you don't have that much faith. Are we supposed to seek these things? Uh, what, is, what is the biblical uh, understanding of this? You know, I would say this experience that Peter and James and John experienced was for them as well as for Jesus. If it hadn't been for them, they never would have seen a thing. They never would have heard a thing. Maybe God would have put them to sleep. And Jesus would have gone on, done his thing with Moses and Elijah, and they never would have known anything about it. But the fact that they were there and they saw and they heard means this was for them. All right, it says, this voice which came from heaven, we heard. That's what it says. This voice which came from heaven, we heard. This is my experience, he's saying. And, and like I said, if God didn't want them to hear it, they would have been shielded from it. Paul's companions on the Damascus Road, they also heard the voice. Why? They were to be witnesses of the event, just like Peter and James and John were to be witnesses of this event. Christ's transfiguration proved his deity, which they were now eyewitnesses of. They already had the word of God, and now they, had they were eyewitnesses. And of course, these men went on to pen more scripture with the Holy Spirit's breathing through them. So this is important in their journey. But this was not the epitome of their journey or, or the, the, pri the primary focus of their journey. Peter's experience was real, and it served a real purpose. Let's look at this event again. Uh, so the Bible says that Jesus received honor and glory. It says, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. I want you to notice for a minute that is a very doctrinally important phrase. Jesus received from the Father God the Father, honor and glory. So what does that little phrase teach us about the Lord Jesus? It teaches us who he is as the Son of God, deity, God in the flesh, who he said he was. You see why God gave Peter this experience? To help us with some doctrine that ended up in the completed word of God. The deity of Christ is confirmed through this. Uh, he received from God the Father. They also heard a voice from what the Bible says is the excellent glory. 
when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. So what does this help confirm? Heaven is for real. There is an excellent glory. Uh, eternity is for real. Some things were, were being confirmed through this experience that they already knew from prophecy, but nonetheless, God was giving them an experience, uh, an, an event that would help to confirm. They heard the words. They heard the words. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, which again confirmed Christ's deity. Another deity of Christ's verse. Peter was able to pen through this working of God. You also see God's will and pleasure confirmed here. Uh, this, this, is, this all happened according to his will. Uh, this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Um, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's my pleasure for him to speak and you not to, Peter. Okay, I'm in charge here, not you. It's not an egocentric, man-centered, feel your way through your Christian experience. No, this is very much a God-centered, obey the will of God kind of experience. He said, Peter, you close your mouth and open your ears and listen to Jesus. So it helps to confirm that God's will and pleasure is what's important. Uh, They saw the glorified bodies of Moses and Elijah, which confirmed what? That they were still alive. How cool is that? That is awesome. Now, they already knew that, right? They already knew that they were alive, but it's just kind of nice to see it. (laughs) You know, no harm in that. Just to get an added confirmation. You know, there was a funeral this week uh, for Brother Pastor, Pastor Larry Saunders and the Worlds and Weedmans and others were there. And every time I go to a funeral and I hear all the stories about this loved one, and I, I did not know Pastor Saunders, but I feel like I know him now after all the stories. Oh, man. What, what a tremendous stories. But you hear all of that, <clears throat> and I always think, this man is still alive. He, he's not dead. He's not dead. He's still alive. He's still talking. They were talking about how Pastor Sanders, if he was here, would be in the corner with a bunch of people around him telling stories and making people laugh. And I thought, well, he's probably doing that right now. I mean, he's still alive. He's still, he's still walking and talking and doing everything that, that he, we've known him to do before, but just in a glorified body with glorified friends and family. It's, it's exciting to think about. And to think that Peter got a glimpse into that, oh, that is so cool. And, and his experience, though it's not our experience, it still does help us. It helps us to, to say, well, isn't that neat what God gave him And then God gave him the permission to pass it on to us. And we can also take heart that the word of God is true. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And what did Jesus say? He that believeth in me shall never die. The body, the heart stops ticking. And this body, it finally decays. But we don't die. Praise the Lord. We just step out into eternity. These phrases, we heard and we were with him, emphasize their experience that uh, this was not just something they heard about, but this was something that they were a part of. Now, when we have these experiences, they tend to have an effect, right? 
They're supposed to have an effect. What was the effect of this? Well, this was meant to be life-changing for these disciples. God knew what they were going to face. He knew that he was bringing Jesus back and leaving them behind. And he knew that they were feeble and faithless and they tended to fight a lot and all of this. And they needed, they needed to really have a, a convincement. This is, this is the crew that's going to start a whole movement, a worldwide movement. And God gave them this experience that was meant to be life-changing, and it was. This was meant to get added, give added confidence and added confirmation at the outset, and, and not necessarily to be ever repeated. Sometimes God did do some things at the very beginning that he never would do uh, towards the end. Look at all the first-time things that happen in the book of Acts. The, the, just the kickstart miracles that he gives to just kind of authenticate the gospel and the church and so forth. This is meant to give also added peace, comfort, and confidence to disciples as they accomplish their mission. They needed that peace and comfort so that they could then help give that to the other disciples. Well, some takeaways from personal experience. Well, as you see here with Peter, there was some very specific reasoning God gave him this experience. There was still more scripture to write, like the book we're reading right now. And this experience helped shape him as he was writing this. But God always has a reason for this. But one thing I want you to note is this. Personal experience is not authoritative. We all have experiences. But Peter did not point to his experience. I'm getting ahead of myself for a moment. He pointed to the more sure word. And the reason for this is simple. If he could tell them about his experience and they're just drawn in like, wow, what an incredible experience. That'd be awesome. And if he could get them all drawn in and then say, you like that? Well, I got something better. It's the prophecy, the word of God that we all have access to. Well, what will that do for all of these believers? It will give them hope that they're not missing out. They're not substandard. You know, I'll never measure up to Peter. I've been waiting for God to give me a, a, a personal word from heaven. That, that bright cloud just hasn't come yet. It doesn't have to come, Peter's saying. We have a more sure word. I'll get to that point in a minute. But first of all, remember, personal experience is not authoritative. God uses experience and maybe, say, what should we say, a miraculous word in Peter's case to confirm his written word and to encourage, and to help equip. But that's not what he preached. He did not preach experience. He preached the Word. And we are told by all of the apostles, preach the Word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Preach the gospel to every creature. Nowhere did these apostles, who did have some pretty cool experiences, tell us that we're supposed to just seek the same kind of experiences. They said, no, you're supposed to take the living word to the lost. Don't preach your experience because ultimately your experience was for you. It wasn't for anybody else. I talk to people all the time. I've talked to some of you here. Oftentimes visitors will come in and the first thing they want to tell me about is their experience. Some bright light, some loud voice, some wind, some feeling 
some zap, some all kind. I've heard it all. I have heard it all. And they all want to know what I think of it. First of all, I don't judge anybody's experience and say, ah, oh, that didn't happen to you. You had too much pizza before you went to bed, buddy. That didn't happen to you. No, I'm not going to go there. Why? Why do I need to go there? I, I just make sure that what I hear doesn't violate Scripture. We'll come back to that point, too. If you're telling me about some, some experience that you had, and it totally contradicts Scripture, well, then I know that your experience was not what you thought it was, okay? Otherwise, if there's nothing biblically nefarious about uh, your, your experience, hey, I'll leave it with you and God. It wasn't for me in the first place. If it had been, I would have had it too. So I'm not worried about it. And you shouldn't be worried about convincing me of your experience. And you shouldn't need my pastoral blessing or stamp of approval. Pastor, did I really see this? I can't tell you that. You don't need me to say, that's cool. You don't, mean to, you don't need me to say anything. If God did something for you, you and God, no. But whatever God did for you, it was, it's not authoritative. It's just something God gave you to help you on your journey to have more confidence to do what he's called us all to do to know the Word, to live the Word, to digest the Word, to preach the Word. I've seen people, they will get upset and leave a church because they had an experience that other people doubted. People didn't believe what I had to say. So what? That's the nature of, of these kinds of things. It ought to give you more confirmation about your... If, if it really came from the Lord, you and God are good. Okay, leave people out of it. Why should they understand something that God did not bring them into? Now, having said that, personal experiences are not transferable. I cannot transfer my experience to you. Let's say I was a cancer survivor, stage four cancer survivor. And let's say it went on for 12 years of battling cancer and all of the chemo and all of the radiation and all the surgeries and all the stuff, and I survive. And then you tell me, hey, they think they may have found cancer. What can I do? I cannot just give you my experience. Can't do it. I can talk and I can help and I can give you some things that you may be able to pick up on. But my experience is mine and you're going to have to forge yours. If I have something that seems more like a supernatural experience, I remember Steve Currington. Steve Currington is with the Lord now. He was the guy who uh, started the Reformers Unanimous Addictions Ministry. God greatly used him. He started that because he was an addict, and one night he wrapped his tree around a car. They pulled him out of the wreckage thinking he was dead. Lo and behold, he's alive. They take him back into the hospital. He's dying, and he had just enough consciousness to hear and understand what they were saying. They're saying he's going to die. There's no hope for him. And he remembers crying out to God, and then he talks about the experience. He talks about the bright light that he saw and this experience that he had and how he told the Lord that if God pulled him through, he would serve the Lord with his life. Well, he did pull through. He did serve the Lord with his life, and he helped uh, addicts all over the world and then God took him home to be with him 15 years later. So am I going to tell him, Steve, all oh, that sounds good, but the bright light thing, no, no, can't go there. Can't go there. 
There were bright lights in the Bible, folks. Okay, it's happened before. It could happen again. I don't know why we have to argue that. Leave the individual to him and the Lord, but the individual also shouldn't peddle his experience that now, since I had this, you have to have it too, and if you don't have it, then you're not as spiritual as me, and if you really had faith, then you'd see it too. Now, hold on. That's not what Peter did. These things are not transferable. You can't pass your experience to the next generation, but you can pass this. And you can teach people what this is and how this will help and enrich your life. How to read it, how to study it, how to be a steward of it. The personal experience is not transferable. It's not authoritative. And I would also say personal experience should not be sought after. Don't be seeking some miraculous word when God has given you his inspired written word. If you are diligently, humbly seeking God through his inspired written word and God gives you something for you in some other fashion, as long as it doesn't contradict between you and the Lord, leave it there. But don't go seeking it. Some folks get in this thing where they think, uh, and by the way, I'm not saying that God's going to give you extra revelation. I'm saying he's, maybe he may, there may some, be some experience that you encounter. But don't go seeking it. So many Christians have thought that because they didn't have some supernatural experience, some miraculous word, they've thought that they're a lesser Christian with lesser faith, lesser spirituality. And so they go on these tangents looking for zaps and visions and bright lights and all this stuff when Peter's about to tell us at the end of the book, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Just keep growing. Just keep reading. Paul said, study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. No one ever said, study and seek out that special something, that special miraculous word. Because then you're a workman that needeth not to be ashamed if you've rightly had the experience or whatever. That's not what it says. Your Christianity is based on your relationship to this book, not your relationship to some mystical experience or supernatural experience or miraculous or whatever. Don't seek those things. Seek the Lord and seek Him in prayer and seek His Word and recognize when you seek after an experience, you are on dangerous ground because the angel of light Satan himself, the deceiver, the father of lies, he knows how to counterfeit an experience. And if you, if he knows that you have marked it down in your journal, I'm going to get me an experience or die trying or whatever. Okay, here we go. We're going to get this thing. Satan will make sure you get it. And it's going to seem like the voice of God. It's going to seem so convincing, so amazing, so enriching, but it'll be so false. And he is subtle, and I have seen good people get off track and get derailed because they start seeking these experiences and holding them up on the level of inspired Scripture, and then they begin to read the Bible through the lens of their experience. That was never how it was supposed to go. It's not authoritative. It's not transferable. It's not to be sought after. 
If God wants to give you something, he will find you and give it to you. Look at all of the divine, miraculous words that came to guys and gals in the Bible and tell me how many of these people were seeking after them. No, they were doing their thing. And next thing you know, boom. I'm going to talk to John the Baptist's dad, right? He wasn't seeking anything. He was just doing his job as a priest. And here's this voice. You got Jonah. Was he seeking? No. He was running the other way. And God says, no, I'm coming after you. If God wants you to have some special word, you don't have to worry about it. It's going to come and hit you in the head. Maybe not quite. But you don't need a special word when you've got the completed, inspired, written word of God. And this is sufficient, and this should be enough for every believer. And if this is not enough for you, you've got to ask, what's wrong with my heart? What's wrong with my motives? Why do I need something more than this? And be wary of the people who say, oh, you only have this? Well, I have this and more than this. And if you were as spiritual as me, you'd have everything that I had, but you don't, so you better just listen to me. Walk away from that guy. If he heard anything from God, well, if he, I probably didn't, but he is misusing the whole situation. That's, that's error every time. I'll give you this last one here for the next point. Personal experience is always to be subject to the Word of God. Always, 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 always. And if it's not, you have yourself a three-ring circus. Chaos, disorder, Who's, who's the arbiter of these things? I'll tell you who's the arbiter. This is the arbiter right here. The arbiter of your experience is the Word of God. And if the Word of God differs with what you think you heard in some dream last night, the Word of God is right, and whatever you heard in your dream was wrong. God has given us, us his, his, the best gift we could ever have, the inspired, completed, written Word of God. It is enough, and it should be enough for you as well. So this brings us to the next, the next point, which is the more sure word. He had a miraculous word. Hey, that was cool. <laughs> that was exciting. That picture, I can't imagine being there, but for all the excitement of that experience, he says, I want you to know. We have a more sure word. Why did he do that? To encourage them. You haven't missed out on anything. You've got the best of the best right in your hands. We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Well, what does more sure mean? Uh, it's the idea of firm, stable, steadfast, certain, and established. We have the most certain word, the most established word, the most unquestionable word. Praise the Lord for that. It's trustworthy. It's credible. This is, again, given to distinguish the word of God from mere fables concocted by men. Personal experience can sometimes be nothing more uh, than, than that, fables concocted by men. It's more credible than personal experiences, this word. 
more credible because the Word of God can be traced, tracked, and objectively established while personal experience cannot be. Again, this message was not designed to call into question your personal experience. It was designed to help you prioritize it and keep it in biblical balance and also to recognize what to do with your personal experience. Use it to help you be encouraged to get into the Word, not to seek more experience. More sure means it is certain, it is credible, it's trustworthy. Whereunto, what does this mean? This word, whereunto, it means concerning which or in accordance with. So he's about to tell us that we should take heed to what? Take heed to my experience, pal. I was there. I heard it. No, 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 no. Whereunto, he is talking about, it refers back to the more sure word. We have a more sure word of prophecy, more sure than my transfiguration experience, more sure than anything you've experienced, whereunto, concerning which, in accordance with, with, we need to listen up. We're talking about something that you need to pay attention to. And then he says, ye do well that ye take heed. Well, what's the action? Take heed. Listen attentively to. Pay attention to. Listen up, he's saying. And what's the result? You will do well. You will prosper. You'll be blessed. Whereunto, you have the more sure word, the Bible, whereunto, in accordance with this word, if you will listen up, pay attention to it, you will do well. Isn't that what Proverbs tells us? You you just follow the word. Psalm 119, that whole passage, follow the word, and it's a good path. Good things happen when you're obeying God, when you're reading his word, studying his word. Blessing is found there. This is a fountain. Drink from it. Be nourished. Be healthy. Again, some application here. Don't peddle your experiences. Preach the gospel. If God's given you experiences, I want to say, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt for a minute. If God's given you experience, then it's too sacred to just banter back and forth, argue about it with, with people who don't know what, what, what happened to you. Why, why, would you. why would you even do that? Why would you take your sacred experience and just banter with everybody on the street? If something happened, great. Preach the word. Let that sacred experience that you had with God be that which feeds your faith to serve him and others through his word. Prosperity and blessing is tied to your relationship with the word, not some supernatural, miraculous experience. I've already made that point, but this is so key. This is where prosperity and blessing is found. So many churches, boy, oh boy, we get off there and we're counting our experiences to see how many notches we have on our belt to see how how spiritual we are. That's not what this verse said. You do well if you take heed to the book. If you're more excited about your experiences than you are about the Word of God, something's wrong. That's a heart check right there. I do, I'm instructed not to judge, right? 
But I do wonder a time or two when I'm with a Christian who all they want to bubble over about is their experience, and we talk to them about the Bible, they just dry up. Oh, the Bible. Uh, anybody can talk about the Bible. I mean, it's right there, black and white. But I want to talk about my thing. And it's just so amazing. You got to hear about my thing. If that's what gets you up in the morning, you got the wrong thing getting you up in the morning. Be excited about the Word of God. If you're more fiercely loyal to your experiences than the Word of God, I'm going to tell you something's wrong. You're off somewhere. I didn't call you to champion your stories. God called you to preach His story. Peter said, when we made known unto you His power and His coming, we didn't do it as those who followed cunningly devised fables. It was all about telling His story of His power and His coming. If your experience contradicts the Word of God, something is wrong. So we should take heed to His Word and prioritize that well above our experience. How should we take heed? Well, it gives us an illustration here. As unto a light in, that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. It's a light that shines in a dark place. We've seen this elsewhere in Scripture. Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How many of you have ever been in a deep, dark cave? Any cave dwellers? No, no, cave explorers. <laughs> Uh, there might be a couple of cave dwellers too. I am not a cave guy. I am not a cave guy. Maybe a big, huge cavern where I can see the opening the whole time. I can do that. But, oh man, we were at a place once where you had to, you're exploring caves and you have to slither like a snake. For one, I'm six foot five. I don't get in places, you know, and then get out. I don't know why, but some people like it. But caves get dark. Youth pastor at my old church took all the teens into a deep cave. Great idea, especially if you have a couple of teens you don't want to have in the youth group anymore. <laughs> you just kind of <laughs> conveniently, uh, well, we lost a couple. You know, they're with the Lord now. So I guess the, uh, he took them into this deep, dark cave, and then he instructed them all. He had, had them all sit down, and he instructed them all to turn off the light, their lights. They each had a flashlight. I was not there. But he said, the darkness was the darkest dark you could ever experience. It's like you could feel the darkness. Now, if you're in a cave like that and it's dark, totally dark, and one guy has a lantern and you've got an opportunity, you can, you can take the lantern and make your way out with the lantern or you can say, no, 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 I'm just going to feel my way through this. I've got this with my experience. I was here before, you know, so I, I can get back. I'm just going to feel my way through. I, I don't know, which choice are you going to make? I'm not doing that. I'm not trusting my experience. I'm just going to feel my way through it. I'm going to take the light that shines in the dark place. And this is what he's telling us. He says, listen, we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. You've got light. Why are you seeking the truth anywhere else? But the light of his word, 
Why rely so much on experience and just feeling your way through things? When the Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, who can know it? It's deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. You know, the Bible says he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. There's a lot in the Bible that tells us we should be very wary of our own heart and our own personal experiences because they can be deceived. They can be, uh, um, uh, what's the word I used before? Counterfeited. Take the light in the dark place. And how long should we do this? All right, well, until the day dawn, the day star arise in your hearts. Take heed unto the word of God until you meet and see the return of the Son of God. Soon the day will happen when Christ will return. Praise God. When the day, when, when the day begins, we no longer need the lamp. We've got Him. When Christ is here reigning, you know, when we are glorified, completely set apart, sanctified, Christ will rule in our hearts. There will be a day where we will no longer need the written word because we will be with Christ, the living word. That day hasn't come yet. Until that day, follow the light that will lead you through the dark place. And the light is not some light in your soul. I just saw a light. I just followed this light. No, no, no. This is the light, friend. We're about out of time. Let me give you this last one, a most dependable word. We had started off with Peter's miraculous word. Those are fun. Those are exciting. None of us have had what he had. If you thought you had an experience like Peter's, you're probably, probably a little off there. But uh, anyway, he, he put it in clear second place to the more sure word, which he now describes as the most dependable word. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He is now telling us why this is the most dependable, the most trustworthy, the most credible word. More than anything that you and I could experience elsewhere, this is the most dependable word because it was breathed out by the Holy Spirit of God. The word inspired literally means God breathed, and that is what he did through these holy men of God. So what, do we, what are some takeaways from this? Well, first of all, as he spells out, because of this, there's no private interpretation. No private, no private interpretation. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, uh, meaning this. The Scripture doesn't mean one thing for you and one thing for me and one thing for him. It has one meaning. Now, there are different ways of applying that meaning. So let's take a clear-cut scripture. Uh, Thou shalt not covet, all right? So I can quote that scripture, preach that scripture, and one person is convicted of coveting cars, and the other person is convicted of coveting somebody's somebody's, uh, money or whatever. Uh, there's two different applications, but it's the same meaning, okay? So, uh, yes, there's going to be different applications because you're dealing with something that I'm not dealing with, so we're going to apply it specifically, but it means don't covet. That's what it means. You can't have somebody say, I got a private interpretation. 
I got a private interpretation on this thing. God just gave it to me. And this doesn't mean thou shalt not covet. It actually means don't covet all the time. Yeah, that's, the, that's my private interpretation. Oh, cool. No, 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 no. We can't go there. Some churches get sucked into this. Some well-meaning Christians get sucked into this. And you've got this uh, philosophy today. This is my truth. That's a, that's a phrase that blew me away when I first heard it. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What is my truth versus your truth versus just like truth? I thought truth was just truth. How do you, how do you, how do, you do your truth and my truth? Well, for me, four plus four is eight. But for you, four plus four might be 10. You know, it, that's your truth. I respect you. No, that's not how this works. There's objective truth. Satan is behind these things where he tries to destroy objectivity because he has a plan in this. If he can destroy objectivity, he has destroyed your and my ability to get anything out of this, this word. There's no private interpretation. No, this is my truth. That's your truth. The Bible has its own singular meaning, and we are tasked with discovering it. There's no contradictory messages to different people. And it doesn't mean that I'm the only one that can interpret it. Now, some people have taken it this way. No private interpretations, so I will do all the interpreting around here for you. That's not what it said either. It just said you can't go off and make your own private cooked-up interpretation. But you should, as a, stud, a student of the Word, study to show yourself approved. We must be committed to exegesis, reading out from the Scriptures, rather than eisegesis, which is reading in. What we want it to say, we, we bake it in. No private interpretations. Yes, individual applications, but no private interpretations. No self-willed agendas. The prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man. The holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We're going to have to wrap this up. God did it His way in His time using His men for His purposes through His Spirit. This has nothing to do with the will of man. I think so many people think uh, things have to be politically correct and culturally correct. And uh, this, is, hey, this is 2023. Pastor, I know you're preaching this and this and this from the book, but it's 2023. That is so insulting to God. As if God wrote the book and forgot that 2023 was coming. No, he, 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 he doesn't have to fit any political narrative, bias, or agenda because he is, he did it in his will and his word is timeless. It's inspired, it's preserved, and it is sufficient. There's more I could say there, but let me just finish with this. God's word is always relevant because it's timeless. Beware of those who think that the Bible doesn't have answers to current situations, to modern times, to the woke agenda, that we're supposed to panic and say, oh no, oh yeah, marriage and sexuality has changed in 2023, so the Bible has to catch up. No, 2023's views on marriage and sexuality have to conform to what God said. The roles of women, what about that, pastor? God knew about that. He told us about that. But that doesn't, that doesn't fit what my teacher said at school. Your teacher at school probably should read this. And you should too, to know what God said. What about the philosophy of justice and punishment and all that? God talks to it all. Study this. You know, I, I got to say this. There's a pastor who has changed his stance on homosexuality. And he got up 
in front of his pulpit, uh, at the pulpit, in front of his people, and he said, here's what he believes, and he said, I know all about the clobber passages, Deuteronomy, and he quotes them, Romans 1, and, and he quotes all the, what he says is the clobber passages, and then he says, but look, folks, what is the guy supposed to do? I'm a pastor, pastoring in these modern times. I've got to meet people. I've got to have real answers to what these people are doing. What did he just do? He just said, this doesn't answer it. What's a guy supposed to do? He actually steps away from the Bible when he says that too. He steps away and he goes, hey, I, I got to come up with something for my people. You have something right here. And if we don't hold the line, we will lose what God has left us here to defend. God's word is relevant because it's always timeless. God's word has one meaning, though there's individual applications. And God's word is best understood with the help of the Holy Spirit. Friend, if you're having a hard time figuring out the, what in the world does this say, you need to draw close to him. Ask the Holy Spirit, would you open my eyes? Would you help me not to quench you? Help me not to grieve your spirit? Help me to, to, to see your, you illuminate this one verse at a time. The one who inspired it can most definitely illuminate it. While God may have sometimes granted a miraculous word, nothing is superior to his more sure word. Without a doubt, it is the most dependable word, and we would do well to heed it. Lord, I pray you'd help us as we navigate personal experiences and doctrines and questions and confusion and so forth. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to stay firmly grounded on the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful to your Word, to know it, to love it, to read it, and to obey it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to say this in closing. If you have a need in your heart, let me know about that. If you want me to pray with you, I'll be in the back. We can talk. If you're not sure that you're saved, we want to talk to you about that. First and foremost is to know that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm always available to talk to you about the need of your soul. We have a busy day here today. We're going to go eat. CJ's going to tell us about that. We're going to do some work on the grounds preparing for the Christmas experience. But your spiritual need is my priority. And so if you have a need, I want to talk to you about that. I want to help you with that. And uh, we'll make time for it. Glad you're here. Pastor CJ, if you'd come, talk to us about what we're doing this afternoon.